ShareCare is the leading online health and wellness engagement platform, providing millions of consumers with a personal, results-oriented experience by connecting them to the most qualified health resources and programs they need to improve their health. It's time now for ShareCare Radio on RadioMD.com. Here's your host, Dr. Daria. Hello, it's Dr. Daria. Welcome back. So February is American Heart Month, and as many of you know, heart disease is the number one killer of women in the United States. It's killing one woman in the U.S. every minute. So with us to talk about that today, I have cardiologist at New York Presbyterian Hospital and the Director of Education and Outreach for the Ronald O. Perelman Heart Institute. My next guest deals with this every day and what happens when patients don't look after your hearts. Now, she's been selected as one of America's best doctors and America's top cardiologists, and you've probably seen her everywhere from the Dr. Oz Show to ABC World News Tonight to MTV and Fox News. Today, she's going to talk about some common knowledge facts and some myths. Dr. Holly Anderson, welcome to ShareCare Radio. So happy to be here. I am very excited, and I was looking at some of your work online, including la- earlier last year when you spoke on stage with Barbara Streisand. Yes, I did. T- uh, how was that, first it of all? It was really exciting. It was part of the Tina Brown's Women in the World event, mm-hmm. and and it was a jam-packed audience of really incredible people, primarily women, and the topics were amazing worldwide. Um, and it was really uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to sit up there and actually talk about heart disease in women because it is so important. It is our number one health crisis, and Barbara Streisand has really taken it on as a, a gender issue, she doesn't mm-hmm. she doesn't have heart disease, and so it's been a, a great opportunity to try to educate um, people, in particular women, to be proactive mm-hmm. about their heart health. Yeah, and that's exactly why we're talking about this day. I know that one of the things you talked about then is the myth that you know heart disease is something that I don't need to worry about if I'm younger. It's something that happens to older men, right? Yeah, and it's, so it's really it's really a that. shame. That that's the uh, that's the stigma, and there is a stigma attached to it. So more women die of heart disease every year than all cancers combined. More women die of heart disease than breast cancer at every age. Mm-hmm. And although we're, we've made great strides in in research, and death rates due to heart disease has been in decreasing for decades in men, and more recently in older women, the most recent population data show that heart disease is actually increasing in our youngest adults and probably increasing faster among young women age 29 to 50 who have no idea that it's even a possibility. So you said 29. Yeah, when we're 29, oh, yeah. we're, not, we're not thinking about heart disease. What does heart disease look like in a 29-year-old? It looks, you know, it can look the same way. You know, it's mm-hmm. the heart disease that leads to stroke and heart attack generally comes from uh, plaque, atherosclerotic or fatty cholesterol-filled plaque that clogs up our arteries and can cause heart attacks and strokes. And we're we're finding that it can start as early as teenagers and uh, preteens. So it takes a while for it to get built up. And so, you know, the great thing is there's so much you can do to prevent heart disease. And the earlier you start, the better chance you have for it not being a problem in your life. And everything mm-hmm. you do that's good for your heart is good for the rest of you. Yes. Yes, this is a good thing. And you're right. So much of it is prevention. What I tell my patients, you know, a lot of them think, well, my family had diabetes or my parents were obese, so I will be too. And I yeah, tell them... That's, that's, that's not true. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, one, of the most, one of the most sexy and hot topics in science now is something we know and we have found out to be, it's called epigenetics, 
which means the way you live your life, what you think about, what you eat, the physical activity you do, and uh, the sleep you get can change the way your genes are translated into proteins. Mm -hmm. And we see it even real time. So, you know, people who are optimistic, who are able to focus on the part of the glass that's half full, actually live longer and have less disease uh, than those who don't. So Mm -hmm. even if you have a terrible family history, there's so much you can do now, even Mm -hmm. outside of medications, just by lifestyle, to reduce Mm -hmm. your risk. Yeah, it's so true, and lifestyle plays such a big factor. And so that's probably, you know, talking as we're talking about the heart disease in women in their in their twenties and thirties and developing that plaque, lifestyle is really a key driver for them right then and there, right? And to really Absolutely. Cre- reverse that and start doing some prevention. And you know, we're we're also recognizing, you know, stress is a risk factor, and mm-hmm. um, the millennials are the ones that are most stressed in our country right now. And actually, women report more stress than men. So I think it's important to actively try to reduce your everyday level of stress. And I, it's harder to measure, right? It's mm-hmm. harder to measure. It's not a um, a number that we can put on it. Mm-hmm. But what we're finding is that it really translates into a healthier body mm-hmm. and a healthier life. Although I do have to say, we have a we have an app at Sharecare that actually does measure your stress levels. So oh, you check that out. Yeah, it's just it's Sharecare it on Android if you have it. It's amazing. You're, but you often don't even realize, and that's one of the things with all of our stress levels is not, without having that mindfulness that you are stressed to take that moment. So if somebody is in their 20s and 30s, what should they do? Do they need to make an appointment with their doctor and get their cholesterol checked? And you know, where do they start? Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea for somebody in their 20s to have their blood pressure checked, have mm-hmm. their cholesterol levels uh, taken, and, 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 and have their sugar level taken. With those mm-hmm. three simple blood tests, you can find out a lot about where you are right now. Um, mm-hmm. I also would say the more important part of your physical exam is your waistline more than your overall weight because it's mm-hmm. the fat around our waist that is uh, metabolically active and actually makes our blood pressure work, makes it worse makes us mm-hmm. more prone to developing diabetes, makes us more mm-hmm. likely to have bad, bad cholesterol levels. Mm-hmm. So anything okay. we can do to try to keep our waistlines trim or anything we can do to even reduce our waistline by a quarter of an inch can be, help, can be very important and health, healthy for us. Um, but I think, you know, I think 20-year-olds, you know, you say the old man's disease, and it's true. We as cardiologists always depict usually heart disease as a man's disease and old men's disease. And, and I've had taken care of some really kind of very world-prominent VIP recognizable female patients with heart disease that don't want to talk about their heart disease because it's an mm. old man's disease. Yeah. So women, we, women, don't talk, women don't know about heart disease because women don't talk about heart disease. Mm-hmm. Very few women actually can name, we did a study, uh, very few women can name another woman in their lives with heart disease, 29%. Only 11% can name someone who's died of heart disease, yet it's the number one cause of death. The number one killer. So, mm-hmm. so we are encouraging you know, people to talk about their disease in a very empowering and very uplifting way because even if you get diagnosed with this disease, you can, uh, you can live, you can do very, very well. There's so much we can do right now. And I think you, you said it earlier when you're looking at the statistics, you know, we talk about breast cancer when you're in your 30s. It's something a lot of us think about in 30s and 40s. But you're saying that every age, heart disease is still more killing women more than breast cancer. More women die of heart disease at every age. It's important to know. The two things that we have, we have to focus on both of them. And one in focus on women die of breast cancer. One in three die of heart disease. Wow. This is so, such a high number. So, 
again, so let's let, we want to reduce that today. I hope we can help reduce those on that call on this yeah. call. And another myth we wanted to talk about, you know, is that there are warning signs for high blood pressure. There's a reason we call it silent killer. It's that's, yeah. that's not true at all. Talk to us about that. There are very, very, very few people will know when their blood pressure goes higher. And when I when I tell somebody they have blood, high blood pressure for the first time, they're like, well, I don't understand. I've had low blood pressure my whole life. Mm-hmm. Well, you do until you don't. And many women and men get diagnosed um, with blood pressure, you know, high blood pressure in their 50s. But there are mm-hmm. some people, and this tends to run in families or people who drink a lot of alcohol in their 20s and 30s, that their blood pressure is quite high. And, mm-hmm. and we, they don't even know because they never go to the doctor really until they're 30 or 40. So they might have had untreated high blood pressure for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's very treatable. Before, mm-hmm. the age of thir- before the age of 45, men are more likely to have high blood pressure. But after age 45, women become uh, more prevalent. Really? 70, 70% of women over the age of 65 have high blood pressure in this country. And the most recent trial, which you may have talked about, uh, that just came back at the end of last year called the SPRINT trial, actually found that, you know, we think that 140 over 90 or less has been normal. But actually, lower blood pressure is even better. So 120 Mm -hmm. over 80 is even, or less, is most desirable. So even if you're not traditionally above that 140 over 90, being physically active, cutting down Mm -hmm. on salt, eating a diet rich in fruits and vegetables can all help your blood pressure. Yeah. Those are great points, and you're right. Having even lower than 120 over 80 is better because for all of uh, for all of our audience, that higher blood pressure is just kind of like a higher pressure going through a hose. And if it's constantly at a higher level, it can cause you know weakness with that hose and cause problems downstream. So you want to lower that pressure. Absolutely, it's one of the most important risk factors for stroke and heart attack, if not mm-hmm. the most important. Mm-hmm. I know in the ER when we see somebody who, in the very few cases of people who have had a stroke or heart attack and, at a young age, they are in, inevitably come in with a very, very high blood pressure. Yeah, and it's so easy to get your blood pressure checked. So, yes, mm-hmm. if you're 20, if you're 25, just it's, you can get a check at a pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Get your blood pressure checked, know what it is, and no matter what, do things that are, you know, that help you mm-hmm. stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned those. You mentioned physical activity. How much? Do you, I mean, it's always. I'm always happy to repeat it a thousand times. How much physical activity do you want people to get? Well, I would say the most. It's always recommended that people say 150 minutes a week. Okay, but I would say physical activity is the fountain of youth. Any physical activity mm-hmm. that you do that gets your heart rate up is good for you. And if you don't have time for 50 minutes, do 10 minutes. Do five mm-hmm. minutes here and there. It's not You don't have to do it any one time. And it's better to do 20 or 30 or 40 minutes of physical activity a day than to do, you know, two and a half hours on Sunday. Yeah. So 60, 60% mm-hmm. of United States adults have no regular physical activity. And we know that prolonged sitting, which we, most of us do at our jobs, we know that prolonged sitting predicts our heart disease risk. Mm-hmm. Physical activity improves your blood pressure. It re- decreases your risk mm-hmm. of diabetes. It improves your HDL. It's probably the single most important thing you can do to improve your sleep. Mm-hmm. So it really, it's good for your bones. It's good for your brain. It's good for your heart. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really important to try to be active in your day when you can be. Mm-hmm. Did you just say that 60% of the United States adults have no regular physical activity? It, and our children, yes, 60% of United States adults have no regular physical activity, looking at it as a general population. And our children now are more obese and less physically active than ever before. Mm-hmm. 
It's so true. Well, so many reasons. And you're right. It doesn't have to be, and I think studies have shown that you don't have to go out and do 30 minutes all in one sitting. If you can do 10 minutes here, 10 minutes later today, that's that's great. And people who aim for that are actually more likely to succeed and keep it up than somebody who says, oh, I can only do it if I can only sit down and do 45 right? minutes of work. Think about out. doing 10 minutes, uh, if you can't, 10 minutes a day versus nothing over a week, mm-hmm. over a month, over a year. Huge difference. Huge cumulative. And it's definitely a lot easier to get myself to go, even on those days I don't feel like going for a run. I'm just going to do 10 minutes. I can exactly. do 10 minutes. And most of the time, you probably can fit a little more time in. But 10 minutes yeah. is better than nothing. And that's all too often the choice people have. I don't have the time. We well, have time mm-hmm. to do at least start with 10 minutes. And, you know, mm-hmm. walk during. Take the stairs. You know, right. get up from your desk. Move around. People are having mm-hmm. standing desks now because we know that mm-hmm. sitting so bad. So mm-hmm. don't sit at your desk all day. Get up and move around. I have dumbbells in my office just so that I can do something, you know, for me <laughs> between patients. Very, that's great. But you're right. And the other factor to that is just even if you are working out for 30 or 45 minutes a day, if you're sitting all day long, that can be detrimental. So still good Absolutely. to get up and kind of move walk around, get the blood flowing. I, my uh, coworkers will know that I sometimes play music in my office if I need a little quick break. I would never let them see me dancing, but I won't say that it doesn't happen. But whatever gets you moving. Re- music is a great stress reducer if it's pleasing mm-hmm. music to you. And obviously, <laughs> I think most people can do a lot more physical activity if they're listening to music. Mm-hmm. Well, my favorite tip is I have a little, I have a certain running mix of some of my very favorite songs, and I only let myself listen to that running playlist if I'm running. So That's a good one. I get my, it makes me go for a run, and then when you actually when that song comes on, you always feel like running a little bit harder. It makes me very happy. So that's my. Trick and I for think the day. you know, speaking to the majority of people who don't regularly aren't regularly physically active, no one feels like doing it for the first time, you know, the first few times mm-hmm. you do it. But then after you do it, you're, you know, maybe three, four or five times, you feel so much better. You sleep mm-hmm. better. Your stress levels are better. Your metabolism is better. You eat better. And when I have somebody coming in who's very stressed and hasn't, you know, very feeling unhealthy, they're not sleeping, they don't eat well, I start out by getting to be physically active because mm-hmm. that gets their sleep better. And when your sleep is better, your eating is better, period. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, a lot of times your eating is, you know, depends on how maybe sleepy you are, your emotions, and you're trying to kind of stimulate something. But physical activity also addresses that. It may give you more energy just for going for a walk, and you don't need to reach for the chocolate or the sugar or, or whatever, whatever other, you know, less helpful habit you're going to do. You know, if you're sleep deprived, there are hormones that get released that make you eat more and eat things mm-hmm. you normally wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. And it's very yeah. hard to fight that. So if you're sleep-deprived, it's very, very hard to um, not eat the things you shouldn't. But so, mm-hmm. again, physical activity give, is the best thing you can do to give yourself the most restorative sleep, and that's a very important part of health and eating well. Hopefully all of our listeners, we give them some tips to just get out and get moving. Ten minutes a day, get your favorite music, do whatever you want, whether it's walking or whatever, take the stairs, all of those really beneficial. Okay, and Dr. Holly, I want to talk about another myth. Do you have a favorite other myth out there you hear from your patients? If not, I, I have think... a whole other list. Yeah, go ahead. Let me tell you. Well, the other one is something that I hear from my patients a lot is that um, heart attacks present with chest pain. Uh, And we always have to tell that because I've seen that in the ER time and time again. Chest pain is the most common symptom for a heart attack. A 
pain. But 40, 40% of women having heart attacks have no chest pain. See, the heart can't feel pain, so the brain has to come up with another place for that duress to come from. Mm-hmm. So women having heart attacks are much more likely to have pain that's not, you know, or at least m- much of the time it could be in the jaw, the back, mm-hmm. the arm. They could just have a sense of indigestion or, mm-hmm. or lightheadedness. But the majority, the majority of women and men who are having heart attacks, they know something's wrong. Every mm-hmm. man knows that they're at risk for a heart attack, but, but not enough women know they're also at risk. Mm-hmm. And women, even women who believe they're having a heart attack are far less likely to call 911. Yeah, why is that? Why they're is less that? likely, they're late, later to be diagnosed, later they're, to get treatment. Even women, every time we pull this, women who actually mm-hmm. believe they've had something wrong with their heart or who believe they're having a heart attack are much less likely to pull the trigger and call 911. And it doesn't tell us why, but why? Too busy to have a heart attack right now, have to go make dinner <laughs> for the family. I mean, they... And I see this. I see this in my practice all the time. Women might be coming in, you know, at the end of the day, just have her blood drawn. Then she says, can I just speak to Dr. Anderson? I go in there. She says, well, actually, this morning I had an hour and a half of the worst pain I ever had. I said, oh, yeah. so you're here now because you think you had a heart attack this morning. Yeah. I'm like, what did you do? Well, I was just hoping it would go away. Mm-hmm. Don't sit there and hope that will go away. All too often, the first sign of heart disease is a heart attack or sudden death. Okay. Mm-hmm. Time is muscle. I'd much rather be taking care of indigestion in an emergency room than missing mm-hmm. somebody's heart attack. Yes. And that's what I tell people when you say you didn't have a heart and they say, well, I, well, I came to the ER. That's okay. That's much better news to, to find out that you didn't. And it's so, you know, we often talk about, you know, men are stubborn. They won't go seek care. They're, their wives often are the ones that bring them in. But then those wives are the same ones that when they are having heart attack themselves, I guess, as you said, are not seeking their own care. Yeah, there was a great essay that was written right after I presented at the American Heart Association last uh, November that it was called The Other Woman. It was about a doctor who this woman brought her husband in time after time after time, would check every one of his details, every one of his medicines, and then one moment, one day, she wasn't there. And she had died of a heart attack, and now he was left really to fend by himself. So women, we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take put ourselves because we want to be there. We want mm-hmm. to be there. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's so true. That's so powerful because, you know, we take care, as women, take care of so many people in our lives and always have to take care of themselves, take care of ourselves as well. And I always say that, you know, you might have a, a strong, powerful daughter that might be a head of a company, but when she becomes a mother, she's going to do what you do. So we, mm-hmm. we have to do a better job there. Okay. Dr. Holly, that is a great way to end. And as females, look out for ourselves, but also look out for our other females in our lives, be it our our mothers or our daughters, to look out for their health as well for February Heart Month. Thank you so much. This was a fascinating segment. Very, very helpful. Again, all of our. Thank you. And this this is Dr. Holly Anderson from cardiologist at New York Presbyterian Hospital. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you missed any part of it, remember you can download it at sharecare.com backslash RadioMD. This is ShareCare Radio, and this is Dr. Daria. Follow us at Dr. Daria. I love all of your comments. Or tweet us at ShareCare Inc. as well. Thanks for listening, and stay well. 